So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sunshines. You are listening to the Evolvepreneur After Hours podcast, and I am your host, Christine Campbell-Rappin, and I'm on a complete and utter mission to help entrepreneurs make a difference. It is complicated navigating the messy world of startup, the relaunch, the reinvention is sometimes a plot twist. Today, we're going to sit down with an incredible entrepreneur who's got a great story. He's going to share the light bulbs, the lessons learned, and we're going to help you apply them to make impact and fast track your business. Today, our guest is Tara Mullis, and he has an incredible story. He's a developer and a business advisor, educator, mentor, TEDx speaker, and author. Originally from Finland, he is a global nomad currently living in Mexico for over two decades. He's got extensive experience in the world of startups, entrepreneurship, project management, gamification, and game and UX design, and considers himself a learning explorer and an unlearning specialist. Currently lives in Monterey and enjoys being a dad, reading, astrophysics, good food, traveling, playing ultimate, and all kinds of board games. So welcome, welcome, welcome to our show. Thank you, Christine. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, greetings to all our listeners, or both of them, how should we say? <laughs> Absolutely. It's got to be your mom and my mom listening. <laughs> yes, at least them, at least them. <laughs> so I'm a curious person who says, you know, when you were young, did you imagine the world of entrepreneurship would be the path you would take? No, absolutely not. I, I thought, as I think many of my generation, I'm 49 years young, and uh, I believed it, that, you know, the future work life would be that, you know, you would get a career of some kind, and then you would stick to that career for the rest of your life, you know, retire at some point, and then enjoy life. That was the message we were told. And it was implemented in our heads. But along the way, of course, you learn in fantastic ways that it doesn't matter what you study. It doesn't matter what your first job is. You will totally end up somewhere else that you expected. And that has been a fantastic journey. I always think it's the dominoes. And just recently sat down with my nephews who are young adults uh, trying to figure out what comes next. You know, that that in-between. And you're right. There are dominoes. And wherever you think you start, it isn't necessarily where you end up. And I don't think that ending is actually the, the point. It's actually the becoming that we're really on this adventure for. But tell me how your early career started and what did you learn that either set you on a different path or made you go, hmm, well, isn't that? Yes. And I, I have a clear, a clear moment of, of when, when that change happened. I was actually, I mean, I had been working most summers uh, back in Finland where it's very traditional to work uh, as a young person. You work all summers. and uh, But I was around 17 years old. I was interrailing around Europe and I was in the beach in San Sebastian, Spain, uh, building a sandcastle, which I love to do still today. And, and people asked us a lot of questions. Why are you doing that? What time it is? Where are you from? And he was this one elderly gentleman who asked me the question that made all the difference. He asked me, why the heck you are building something so intriguing and something so amazingly detailed when you know perfectly well that it's going to be destroyed in the evening by the tide? And I don't remember what I answered him, but I remember clearly thinking that the answer is obvious. I'm doing it right now because it gives me pleasure and happiness right now. Not in the evening, not tomorrow, not some other time in history. And that was a revelation to me. And I started understanding life as, you know, being moments after moments and living really in the present. I mean, there's all this mindfulness and all this talk about really living in the present. But 
I started wondering, what is the present? Is it the millisecond between what just happened and what is going to happen? Or is it really a space we can do things in and, you know, act and correct our mistakes and plan for the future? And I sort of started expanding my present every year a bit more and applying that to my work and, you know, understanding that I will dedicate everything to my job right now because tomorrow I, I'll probably be fired anyway or or be dead or something less less traumatic. But, you know, sort of enjoying the moment and doing the best I could at every all times. And when I had a bad day, I just admitted I had a bad day. I moved on to the next day and, you know, just kept sort of going and not planning too far ahead, uh, not, not sticking myself in the past, but really, you know, being there and enjoying life as it went along. Well, I'm curious because it's something that is is very topical now. We're all trying to find our space in the time continuum. But your circle of friends and your family and the people that you were you know, obviously working as a young gentleman at that time, um, was this something that was accepted? Was this that thank God where you, you know, explain to me how that felt because it's, I'm curious to know, and many entrepreneurs find when they start to think differently, they don't always have a welcome reception or a warm supporting cheering squad. Tell me a little bit about that journey, what it felt like when you were first starting to really break the mold of this traditional, get a job, go work for a period of time and eventually retirement is the ultimate goal. When you went, I'm not sure that's what the goal is. Talk well, I was, yeah, I, I was very fortunate to have parents and still have them luckily is who, who really let me be myself. And they gave me two great gifts that every child should get from their parents. It was the freedom of decision and the freedom of choice. And they're different things. I mean, freedom of choice is basically you can look into things and study things and, you know, experiment things. But decision, the, the responsibility for your decision and you having to deal with them, that is amazing. That freedom is something we are rarely given. And I was given that as a child. So I, I was expanding my sort of the famous comfort zone from a very young age and, and sort of pushing the limits in a healthy way for me so I, not, I didn't I didn't I didn't feel the need to push the limits to annoy my parents or you know disrupt myself from society but it was mainly to me to learn and this is something it was like a childlike wonder and a childlike uh, you know enthusiasm for trying to experience new things and I've been lucky enough to be able to maintain this through all my life and it's still I mean and you don't you you are listening to us, but if you could see the video we're sharing here, you could see some Legos behind me and board games and stuff like, I mean, I still play as a child and I don't see anything bad about it. I think it's wonderful and we all should play more because that allows us to be more creative. It really gets us in the flow of things and makes us, I think, better human beings, happier, uh, more purposeful lives and, you know, even even better at our job. I mean, I always think this is definitely a word that's it's circling around my ming. It's definitely going to be on the vision board is, is, you know, find more time to play. And I'm curious because one of the unique things in your storyline is that you you are a founder or creator of a board game. Talk to me a bit, a little bit about that, because it's one thing to create something, but you actually created something that you then marketed and sold and it opened some interesting doors for you. So tell me a little bit about that piece of the puzzle. Yes, that is a great example of converting a passion into business. You know, it's something I've always played. My dad didn't want us to have a TV at home when we were kids, but instead he bought us all the board games we wanted. So I spent my childhood playing board games. And then 
you know, playing risk. I got bored that, you know, when you got Australia, you got, you won the game because nobody could beat you there. You just put the army. So I draw my own map where you had Antarctica so you could attack Australia from below. So, you know, I, made, I started making my own games very early and it was just for fun. And fast forward 20 years, uh, I think it was my brother's uh, lovely wife who said like, you guys are crazy good at this. Why don't you sell that? And like, we're like, this is just a hobby. And we said, well, let's pitch it to somebody. And we looked looked on the internet, somebody, you know, who sells board games, whatever. We presented a couple of demos to them and they said, oh, we love it. We'll sign you up. We'll give you a deal. And we're like, okay, that was fantastic. So it, it sort of, it was a passion we had. I mean, I had 20 years of experience designing games by that time. Uh, but I never thought thought of it as a, something I want to sell or make money out of. It was just a passion. And then somebody else had to give me the great idea of converting that passion into something really monetizable. What's the word? But but I had it. And, and now, I mean, today we have published over six games uh, uh, worldwide. We have done a lot of gamification projects for big companies. We have designed board games for specific purposes maybe you know social well-being or some campaign and it's been a fantastic journey so i've been able to convert a hobby into something at least that pays for itself you know hobby hobby that pays for itself i think is a great start no it's an interesting one because i think this there's two light bulbs that go off when you tell your story the first is you know sometimes we can't see opportunity for ourselves because we're just too close to it and i love that it was someone in your inner circle that said there's an idea here and so there was a light bulb, again, and I think that's good for our listeners to know, you know, sometimes we're like, I don't know what we're good at because we just take it for skills that it's fun and it's interesting. That's not challenging in in the, st- the sense of trying to put it into a box. It just flows. And yet when we're then trying to quest for a door to go through, we can't see the door because it's so abstract. And so I was saying, you know, pause, you know, if you want to know what you're great at, ask other people around you because there will be light bulbs that can go off that you just didn't see. And doors you may choose to walk through. But I'm curious, I think sometimes when you do have someone turn the light at you and say, there's an idea, sometimes we really hesitate, though, to say, but it's just a hobby or I don't want to hate it if I make it structured or if I have to watch and let people judge or, or give opinions or have to, again, that weird box that we think exists, put an idea into it. Talk to me a little bit about how do you continue to to jump in but still retain the play the fun because you've done this repeatedly and i think this is fascinating because one of many of us i think hesitate to go i don't want to ruin the magic of play yes yes that's a great question i i i i want to remind everybody that remember that your idea per se is worthless it's only until the moment you actually do something with it take some action when it becomes of some value Never forget that the library is full of original ideas and your idea is probably not an original idea. The only thing, the differentiation is what you do with it. So I've learned from, you know, through my life to when I have a great idea or somebody shares a great idea with me, I say, let's run with the ball. Let's do, let's try it out. And the worst thing that can happen is that we fail miserably. And that leaves us exactly the same position we were where before but we have tons of experience so i understood that very early and i i just wanted to try things and i wanted to experiment it was a very personal journey to sort of learn things and be able to just have an excuse to do stuff and along the way you learn so much and when eventually i did my first uh, serious startup i already had this 
understanding of what entrepreneurship is. It is, you know, doing an idea, making a prototype, you know, pitching it, showing it, testing it, you know, then finding somebody who supports it and wants to maybe buy it. You know, it's this chain of selling lemonade at the corner. It really applies to everything if you put it into, into basic perspective. But I thought it was a great way without me really noticing is to just pitch ideas, put them out there, get shut down more often than not. But it makes you harder. It makes you tougher. It, you know, you learn to pick yourself up and keep going and keep trying. And I think I'll never stop trying. I, I still have no idea what I'm going to be when I grow up. And I think that's fantastic. I did too. <laughs> I think it's interesting though, because we, 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 we got to recognize that it is, and I loved it that you said it because I couldn't agree more. It takes more than an idea to create a business. And there is a big sequence, uh, dominoes, if you will, that, that come together to take idea, to concept, to commercialization and to monetizing it, if that is the goal, or creating impact around it, some level of value exchange, whether that's dollars or something else. What is interesting, though, is, you know, you, you've taken a successful multiple board game business and then said, but I had one serious startup. So explain to me what you mean by I had a serious startup, because at what point did it get real and what made it real for you that it was, quote unquote, serious? Excellent. Well, what a good question. I, I think my, my definition of serious and non-serious is when I play with other people's money. So it's like my own startup, the gaming business and all things that I've started, they were my businesses. There, I put the, money, the work money, uh, maybe my brother, but it was still, you know, family very close. Uh, I, I thought it was serious for the first time when I was playing with somebody else's money. It means somebody somebody invested in the business and then it was real. Then it was like, wow, now, I, now I'm afraid to fail because if I fail, I have to tell this, this person or these persons that I failed. And it made it real. It made it sort of uh, serious. And, and the, yes. And then, I mean, I, and the first, first business I did, I went beautifully bankrupt and... Uh, had to tell the investor, you know, you lost all your money. And he was really cool about it. He said, yeah, I, I assumed that from the start. You know, I'm like, well, thanks for the belief. But, you know, it was uh, it was great learning that, you know, it doesn't always matter. You don't you don't have to, you know, stress yourself out just to be able to pay somebody back or get some return on investment. But, you know, find and I through that, I learned to find partners and investors who believe more in me or the project. And are not looking so much just to get a return for their money. And, and you know, you can find there's amazing investors out there. Uh, most of them just want their money, but most and many also want to help the world or bring great ideas to life. So it's a matter of finding, you know, starting to learn uh, who to choose. And, you know, not all investors, your partners and friends, you know, be choosy about who you spend your time with and who you allow to give you feedback regarding your business. Yeah, that's a really important one. I think so often there is this perception, and I know there's always two camps in the world of art, uh, startup entrepreneurs or startup business owners, they may not view themselves yet as entrepreneurs, is that, you know, I do it myself, I bootstrap myself, and then it's only me and my own uh, expectations, which sometimes can be extraordinary and sometimes can be needling to average. Uh, but then there is also that I need, I need somebody else to fund my dream, and I can't go without permission. And I always think permission is a really interesting one because one thing it sounds like from your upbringing, from your family, from the influences, with permission was always an internal thing. I'm going to build this just to stay in the moment, to live in the life of creativity. 
when you are working in the capacity as a business advisor and you're working with startups and people in different stages, talk to me about their perception of permission and the struggle we have. Most of us are looking for someone else to approve, grant us, greenlight us, or what have you. When you're taking an advisor role, how do you help guide them through that piece of the complexity in building a business? I do it with brutal honesty. And this means this means that I I don't bullshit around. I mean, I'll, I, I cut to the chase and I'll tell them the facts as I see them. And this is, I mean, it sounds very simple, but hardly anybody does that. They, you know, want to sure go it a little bit, take your feelings into consideration, you know, don't, don't be so harsh. And this is the first thing I tell anybody who approaches me or I approach them, I say, I'm going to be brutally honest. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm going to tell them how I see them. And the ones that I keep working with, and I, I, I work with approximately five startups currently, uh, they love it. They they want to keep me exactly for that reason, because they trust me to tell them when something is wrong or they're going the wrong way or they're going the right way. So so they trust me more when I am being honest. And I think that is the key component of being a good advisor, being a good mentor, being a good coach is to be honest. Uh because you can't if you're not if you don't believe in what you're saying, who why, why should anybody else? And this I think this is the key element of of anything you do with your human relationship, no matter if they're business or personal. Be yourself, be honest, and if they don't like it, you'll find out sooner and you will not waste time with them and you can focus on people better suited for you. And I think that is very healthy and I think it makes life so much easier when you're a bit more pickier and more a little bit, you know, harder on, on those relationships. Don't 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 take anything just because you can. Just, you know, choose choose something that works for you, gives you better feeling and not anxiety or stress. You know, identify those things. And I, I think along that way, that pathway, you will simply have a happier way of living and working. You know, it's 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 quite basic really. It is. I always think the old school value, you know, honesty. And, and I always say to people, when you are in a, in, a, in any kind of creative space, it must be honest space. It doesn't mean it's always comfortable space, but we, as long as we were respectful, I need to hear it. You need to hear it. We need to see the vision and we need to get the elephants or the shadows into the light because it is how we accelerate. It is how we actually do reach alignment and it is how we vet and be stronger when we're in a collaborative environment. And, you know, sometimes the, the soft, gentle sugar coating does anything but move you forward. And so I'm curious because it's something that you are valued for. Where was the big moment in your life where you heard some feedback for the first time went, oh, that feels like heart attack. That was tough to hear. Yes, it was actually, I mean, the one that I remember most, I mean, it was a lot of things from my childhood that I could use as examples, but the one that really marked the difference was actually a amazingly positive comment to a negative situation. I'll tell you, uh, I was maybe 22. I was working for a boss in Venezuela. He was a European origin guy, very cool, very business oriented man, but, you know, very strict in Mace, but nice person in general. I didn't know him that well, but he hired me. And one day I had been go. I went out or something, and I I slept late. I my I didn't hear my alarm clock honestly. And I instead of showing up at eight thirty in the morning, I showed up to the office at ten thirty. And I showed up to the office. It was a very small office. We all shared the same space. And I showed up, you know, and I said, "Sorry, boss. You know, I I slept late. You know, I 
I wanted to be honest about it. And, you know, I had a late night and I slept late. And he, he just turned to me and said, looked at me deeply and said, when a young man sleeps, it's like putting money in the bank. And that's all he said about that. And to me, that was like, wow. I mean, he he could have punished me. He could have said, oh, you shouldn't be late. But that positive thing taught me to be on time every I never, I was never late again. Because I, I really, I never wanted to let him down. He was such a nice way of dealing with it. And and that was very inf- impactful to get, get honest feedback. But positive, honest feedback. Well, that was amazing to me. And I try to be that. And when I speak about on, brutally honest feedback or brutal honesty, it doesn't mean it's bad. It it can be, usually it's good. It's it's It starts from saying, you know, Christine, I like you. I think you're amazing. You know, that is, that is feedback and that is honesty. And if the other person can't deal with that, then it's their problem. But at least you are letting it out and you're, you know, you're, you're living a better, more harmonized life because you are getting it out there. You're not carrying within yourself and letting it eat you from the inside. So be positive. It, it works as well as negative, even better. Yeah, I think it's the intent behind it, which is the light. The, the intent is to shine the light. Yeah. It's up to the other person to pick that up and take that insight and apply it in new ways or learn or not learn. None of that which you control. So I'm curious because... You do have influence over young human beings, and you're obviously working in the world of startups. So I'm curious, you know, as, as you look, and I'm going to use the big word legacy, but where do you hope the legacy lies for you? Because you've tell, told some great stories of people who really impacted you, shaped your viewpoint, and you are intentionally choosing to shape others. What's the legacy piece that you want to be remembered for that you're really mindful as kind of your guiding north as you show up day to day? Yes, it is. Um, it's very simple. Uh, I don't want people to judge me for my titles or my belongings or my accolades. You you should only judge me by my children. Uh, meaning that if I didn't raise them well and with love and with you know understanding and respect and all those things, I suck. I'm a failure. It doesn't matter what I did. It doesn't matter what car I drive or what you know I have the title of it, universal president of everything. It doesn't make any difference. So if I had to be judged by something, it would be through my children. And that means absolutely what you probably were thinking already. Nobody will remember me in four generations. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. Uh, the only people who are remembered are usually Hitler and other bad people. And I don't want to be remembered as that as such. But nobody remember, Nobody knows what their great-grandfather did or what his passions were. Nobody knows. Or their grand-grand-grandmother. Except you did some specific study. But Nobody knows. So I'm not counting on that. I don't care. I, I, I want to be here now. I want to be happy now. And I'll do everything possible to find that happier life. But it's not a destiny uh, or destination being happy or finding your purpose. It's a continuous journey. You know, you you feed it bit by bit all the time continuously. And that's what keeps me going. I'm not waiting for a destination. I'm not uh, trying to get anywhere. I'm just enjoying life and if i need to be judged by somebody check out my kids you know <laughs> lucky to have them they're not for everybody again you know if you don't have kids fine and nobody you don't need to have them i i wanted to have them and i i'm happy being a dad but uh that's my way of looking at it i love it but you've also done one thing which is a little legacy oriented you've written a book 
Talk to me about why the book, if 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 the if the if the jury, if you will, is, you know, I want to raise good humans, which I think is hugely admirable because I do think that is an vital thing. And whether they're your children or you're influencing other people, be a good human is just a simple life adage I always like to get out into the world. But the book, tell me a little bit about it because it really comes down to your story of sandcastles. Why the book, what do you hope it casts out into the world? Because it's a written legacy. Talk to me about it. It is. That is a good, that's a good point. Uh, and it is. And uh, I wrote this book for a simple reason. I wanted to have more one-on-one conversations with people. I understood that I couldn't, I, I think it's, they're valuable. I think they're, it's great to talk to somebody and really take your time to have it a one-on-one and, you know, open up and, you know, give me your theory and I'll give you mine and yeah, we'll try to convince and learn and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, like, what, what is the best way to be able to talk to more people? And my time is limited. I can't talk to 7.7 billion people. Uh, I could do a podcast. I could maybe do a TV show or a movie. That might work, but uh, I didn't have the budget for it. But what I did have the budget for is sitting down and writing a book. So I wrote it to have conversations one-on-one with people. And I, I'm so happy. I, I published it almost two years ago, and it's been quite a good success. And the feedback I got, the reviews that I've gotten, most people say that it feels like I'm having a conversation with the author. And that to me is fantastic. And then the next thing is like, wow, I, they, he made me question things and he made me work it, you know, because my book is not about giving you answers. It's about giving you questions. And I think that's the way forward is keep always asking why. Why does this work? And why why is my favorite color green? really going deep to understand why it is because you might say, I just like it, but it comes really because your mother probably dressed you in green when you were a kid and da, 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 da. And you know, there's always reasons behind the reasons. And I love discovering those in my own life because we are, after all, if you want to know somebody, the only person you can know in life is yourself, truly. So make that your purpose, make that your mission in life, just to know yourself. And I promise you, you will have a happier, more purposeful life just by doing that. I absolutely love it, guys. You got to go check out this book he is written because I 100% believe everything in business and life, they're not one and something separate. They are the same continuum comes down to conversation. It's been a lot of fun sitting down, Taro, to have a conversation with you. Thanks for being our guest, guys. That's a wrap on the Evolver After Hours show. But before you go, a couple of things. If you've liked our episode, to give us a five-star review. And if you are an entrepreneur, come share your story. Sit down and have a conversation with us. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes. And if you are an entrepreneur, today's the perfect day to go live in the moment, build those sandcastles, get creative, find more conversations, and make your legacy a living one. Thanks very much for being here, guys. We will see you on our next episode.